Welcome along to another edition of Scoreline Extra with myself, Sinead Kyo. Hope you're all doing well. Coming up on the show today, we're going to be talking all things Camogie, LGFA, Greyhound Racing and lots, lots more. But first, we're going to hear from Philip O'Connor about his work at SETU on researching Camogie. Lots of sports coming your way, but I'm delighted now to be joined on the line by Philip Cotters. He is a St. Mullins man doing some very fascinating work. He's done extensive research on the physical capabilities of elite camogie players, a part of his time in the Southeast Technological University. So here he is joining me on the line. Philip, how are you, sir? Shane, nice to meet you. How are you? I'm very good. It's very interesting what you seem to be doing. Firstly, you've been accepted by SETU to continue your research at a doctoral level. How much are you looking forward to that? Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, the transfer has been through uh, just last week there, so it's, it took a, a little while with the, the merger and all, but yeah, it's full, full steam ahead now for the next, next year or 18 months or so. And the research that you're you are doing, will you continue along the same lines of the research that you've done up to this point? Yeah, so it all started back in twenty nineteen, September twenty nineteen. I was accepted as a research scholarship student at what was formerly IT Carlo. Um and it, it looked at investigating the the physical and kind of running demands of, of elite Komogi players during during match play and Look, we've today we've looked at the physical characteristics of their sprint speeds, their strength, their counter movement jumps, that kind of thing, and we've looked through GPS technology at their match play demands as well. So their positional demands and the the, the demands over time as well, what are called temporal demands. Um, from there, then we moved on and we we decided we'd we'd start looking then as part of the PhD research at the training demands and the final part then looks at kind of surveying and interviewing Komogi coaches on how they plan sessions, what they use, uh, do they draw on previous experience, uh, do they actually use the research that we carry out, uh, do they use workshops and kind of where they draw their inspiration from to, to plan their sessions currently. Yeah, I guess it's hugely beneficial to have all this uh, statistical analysis when you're planning some type of training sessions and stuff. When you, where, where did the interest in researching specifically Camogie come from? So um, a research team in what was IT Carlo in SETU Carlo now of Des Earls, Declan Brown, Dr. Paula Fitzpatrick and Dr. Paula Rankin came together and they seen that there was a there was a big difference in what Camogie players were actually putting into training. Um, a report from the Women's Gaelic Players Association was showing that they were training up to five times a week and they felt that the research wasn't where it should be for the the amount of effort and time that the Camogie players are putting into it and it kind of lagged behind that of, of hurling and other Gaelic sports. So they, they originally had the brainwave to, to look in this area and then I came on board to, to actually carry out the, the whole project then. Yeah, it sounds really exciting to be able to invest yourself in, in, in something that I know that you at the heart of it you're, you're big into I think you're a games promotion officer with Wexford GEA and stuff and once you ingrain yourself within the GEA community it must be fascinating for yourself to be able to kind of find out these different things as you continue to do your research It's been brilliant um, even on a personal level I've worked closely with, with Kilkenny Camogie with, with Brian Dowlin and Tommy Shefflin and with the, the Camogie board in Kilkenny uh, headed up by Sheila Norris that time for the past two years and I was their sports scientist for two years and the, the amount you learn on the ground, it's it's great learning stuff in the in the classroom and behind the computer. But to put it into practice was was really beneficial for me. Um, and like I think 
they they got a lot from it. Obviously, accumulated in a, an All Ireland win in December 2020. So it it worked really well for both parties. Um, and then you know we we have now normative data that we can provide players and coaches with to try and not that training wasn't always done in the most appropriate manner, but that we can now kind of back it up with with research, which is the way all the Gaelic games are going at the minute. And are you finding this accepting within the GEA community to have this research? You know, you might have some people that are stuck to their own ways. They think training is one way. When you have empirical evidence, is there, have you kind of come up against anybody that uh, you found it a bit tough to kind of get through to? I think there there probably is a little bit of reluctance to, to accept sports science. Uh, sport, it is an art after all. It's, it's not an exact science. And just a small thing of we had the option of using either kind of retrospective GPS where we, we look at it after a game or live data and something like that we decided that we'd go down and, and use our coach and I as opposed to using the, the science but for the most part I, I can't thank um, Kilkenny Camogie and the lads that, that work with them there they were really really open to it as were the players and they bought into it they, they mightn't have agreed with, with everything that came back or mightn't have understood everything but we tried to to not take away from what they were trying to do either and kind of use it as something that will be beneficial as opposed to to, to hampering or, or that will take centre stage either. And going forward for yourself, is there anything in particular that you'd like to look at in detail when it comes to Camogie as part of a study? I think that's where the, the original two to three years, obviously COVID hampered a small bit of it, but the original plan was to just to get that normal of data um, on the ground, looking at games, looking at training. But really what I'm interested in now and it's where the, the PhD is going is kind of the thought process behind what Camogie coaches use. They are kind of perhaps forgotten about a little bit compared to, to hurling and football, but the work and effort that's going in there is every bit as, as much. And I just kind of love to, to kind of get in amongst elite Camogie coaches now in, in the top counties and have a chat with them and see you know, what, what's been done at the minute, provide them with the normal of data uh, if they haven't got access to it already and try and improve the, the standard of Camogie because it is definitely under raised at the minute as well. Yeah, and it, it seems to be backed uh, quite a lot more extensively as well within the media and stuff. So you can just see the trajectory of it continuing to rise. One of the papers that you did that really caught the eye was the physical characteristics of elite Camogie players. What were your key findings in that pa- paper? Like how do elite Camogie players compare to other athletes? Yeah, so we looked at our sprint distances over 5, 10 and 20 metres. We looked at their their jump heights and we also looked at other parameters like strength, but we also looked at their yo-yo scores, so that test that some of your listeners might be familiar with at the start of a pre-season, where you're running back and forth between two markers to a a beep on a radio. So we done all those with with, uh, the squad and... Actually, funnily enough, we found we looked at the positional um, differences and there were very few positional differences between our defenders, our midfielders and our forwards. But Camogie is a, a different game to the likes of rugby and soccer in that players could play multiple positions in in a season or even in a game. So that alongside the fact that they're all similarly trained, regardless of their position, probably led to those findings. Um, we see an awful lot of our ladies Gaelic footballers going across to Australia at the minute to play the Australian football. Um, and our Camogie players 
compare very well in comparison to their their Aussie counterparts. Uh, their five meter sprint times were were similar to to the Aussie rules players, and they also had higher yo-yo scores, so higher uh, aerobic endurance than the Aussie players. And so they do compare favorably, which kind of backs up what I've just said about the fact that they do put a lot of time into training, and the the standard is is definitely on the rise. It, it's very evident that you, you have a love for our, our, our own games here. But you did mention the likes of soccer, the likes of rugby, the likes of the AFL. Um, massively, vastly different sports. We've talked to various different uh, kind of sports scientists and people about it, particularly in relation to concussions and rugby and heading the ball in soccer. Is there any other sport that you would like to kind of get your hands on and be able to get deeply involved in it like you have done with Camogie? Um, at the minute, it's it's kind of all Gaelic games. Uh, it's where kind of all my my pastime, my free time, and and my working life is spent at the minute. Um, so it's been great to to work with Komogi so closely. Like the same could be said for ladies Gaelic football. It is kind of a little bit underappreciated as regards the research at the minute on that. So maybe that's an area. Um, but looking outside that, look, it's Australian rules is a fascinating game. It's it's like a combination of of football cross with rugby and the demands of that will be really interesting to to really nail down. I know there has been some work done with it um, by some Australian researchers, but to to get on the ground and actually look at that would be brilliant too. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's a it's a fascinating sport to watch. Uh, I was over watching um, over in Melbourne watching the the international rules, and thankfully the Irish whooped them that day, so I was quite happy with that. Uh, you're involved with Saint Mullins as well. Got off to a flyer there the other day. What are the hopes for the year as a club? Yeah, it's, um, things have been going really well. We've Morris Elward in this year um, managing us there. And look, we, we had a, a very good Bulger Cup season. We managed to come out on top of that. And it's just trying to build on it. Championship is very, very tight this year. We've potentially seven games in, in eight weeks. So it's trying to keep as many players injury-free as possible. Um, the club as a whole, our three teams had good wins last weekend. So it's just trying to build on that now going forward. And you know, trying trying to take over back over the the mantle again from Mount Leinster Rangers because they're definitely the standard bearers in the county at the minute. They certainly are defending champions. Uh, we know that they won't have Chris Nolan, but obviously St Mullins don't have St Mullins. That are that Marty Cavanagh. They're, they're over in the states enjoying life stateside as well. Uh, big gaps and big shoes to fill on that team for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, the clubs. It's, it's very hard to replace lads of the caliber of the. The lads you just spoke about were were down Gary Bennett as well. He's travelling at the minute as well. So, look, it, it gives we have a great ba- batch of young players coming through at the minute in the club, thankfully, and you know it gives them something to to aim for. That there's a couple of positions there as well to to try fill. And you know when the lads come back, then it makes it all the more competitive going forward for the next couple of years. It only benefits Carlo GEA then going forward as well. Um, Philip, it's an absolutely fascinating talking to you. In regards to the papers that you've you, you've published, is there accessibility for people to read them online? Yeah, so um, I try and update my Twitter feed as much as possible with with my research and, and other bits and pieces. So that's at philipconnor 2 so You can find my research there. And if not, philip.connors at itcarlo.ie if you drop me an email whether you're an SNC coach or, or just uh, someone that's really interested in learning more, I can happily send you on some of the papers also. 
Fantastic. And we'll try and get something up on scoreline.ie during the week. Philip, absolutely fascinating talking to you. I'm sure we're going to cross paths again soon because this this is genuinely very interesting to, to us here and getting to ch- chat to lads that are doing sports science is just absolutely fascinating. So best of luck with the rest of your research. Congratulations once again on being able to continue your research with the Southeast Technological University. And we'll be chatting to you very soon. Perfect, Shane. Thanks a million. Thanks Thank you very much. Philip Connors, absolutely fascinating. We'll have that up on Scoreline Extra. As always, we caught up with Joshi and to find out what's happening on the local greyhound scene. Well, these are golden times for locally connected greyhounds. Kilkenny Carlow trainers doing so well across the country and across the water tonight. We have the English Greyhound Derby final with no less than three out of six finalists being locally connected. We'll start with Hello Hammond and Priceless Jet, of course, trained by the maestro Paul Hennessy, who has won this competition before. He knows what it takes to win it and he has a very, very strong hand. 33% of the field he has tonight with Hello Hammond and Priceless Chet. Running from trap six in the stripes, Priceless Chet, he split the track record here a number of weeks ago, winning in 28.88. Hello Hammond, of course, owned by the Bagnallstown owners, Jerry and Miriam Meany. Has a massive chance, having come in third last week, only beaten two lengths or so on that occasion, and will be staying on very, very strongly at the business end of things. So very best look to the Meany family, Paul Hennessy and Hello Hammond and Priceless Chet. Elsewhere, trap two, in the same race, runs from Mooncoin trainer Peter Cronin, greyhound called Kildare, who put in an astonishing display last week, winning in 29-16. He will go off favourite for tonight's competition. £175,000 prize money. It's huge prize money, folks. £235,000 in total prize money. It's phenomenal. And with three locally connected greyhounds, it really is an historic achievement. So well done to Peter Cronin, his son Mikey Cronin, the Cumberford family. And, of course, the Meany family and Murphy family and Paul Hennessy and all his team. I was speaking with Susan during the week, Paul Hennessy's wife, and she is very upbeat about Priceless Jet and Hello Hammond's chances. And it's wonderful to see such great achievements from these locally connected greyhounds. So very, very best of luck to them. Elsewhere, in Children Park last week, we had a monumental local achievement with the Sporting Press Irish Oaks being won by Raha Mofo, trained, of course, by Mert Lahey enjoying yet another classic success. It was a wonderful victory. My Raha Mofo winning in an astonishing clock of 28-14 at a price of 3-1 to one for the Malloy family from Galway. And of course, one of the Malloy family, Kieran Malloy, he's a professional boxer living in the USA. It was wonderful to see majestic scenes from the Legends Bar in New York where almost a gang of 100 people gathered to watch the Sporting Press Irish Oaks final. And there was amazing scenes there with Raham Mofo crossing the line in front. And well done to the Malai family and, of course, the local Lahi family, who just the winners just keep on streaming in for the Lahis. Well done to them and many more, please God, down the line. So well done to all of those connections. Elsewhere, in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium last night, we had a wonderful fundraiser for Three Castles GAA Club. It was a very, very well-supported event and, of course, some fantastic fundraisers have taken place in recent times at our local Kilkenny Greyhound track, of course. Three Castles GA last night, we had Young Ireland's, 
there a number of weeks ago as well. We have Liz Downey coming in for their fundraiser next Friday night. And of course, it's a wonderful way to make money for your local club, GA, charity or any organisation. So wonderful to see Three Castles doing so well in their fundraiser at Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium last night. And best of luck to Liz Downey GA Club having their fundraiser next Friday night in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium. We have a fantastic number of events in Kilkenny over the coming weeks. And the pinnacle of that will be Sunday, July 10th, where the €20,000 John Mitchell and Kilkenny Goba Festival of Racing will take place. To correlate with that, we have a number of sweepstakes on at the moment, a number of which took place last night, starting off with the John Mitchell Bookmaker and Kilkenny Goba Novice Unraced Sweepstake. Three heats of that, some very, very nice performances Indeed, here the fastest of those performances was from Cora Quillbest, winning in a time of twenty nine eleven. Went off at four to seven favourite for this one, very well supported for trainer Caroline Swatham and owner Dean Corman put in a nice performance, and we're looking forward to seeing more from those in the John Mitchell Bookmaker and Kilkenny Goba Navis sweepstake over the coming weeks ahead. Elsewhere, we also had the A3 sweepstake last night. It was a very, very hotly contested one. Some really nice performances here. The fastest of those quarter-finalists was another dream, winning in 28.89 for owner Pat Scully and a trainer whose name has been mentioned already, Mert Lahey. His kennel is on fire at the moment. Went off the 5-4 to favourite, another dream, winning in 28.89, leading from trap to line. So well done to connections there. And we'll emerge on to the second round of the John Mitchell Bookmaker and Kilkenny go by A3525 next week. Elsewhere, we also had the A2 competition. This was another very hotly contested competition. And the fastest time of the night in the A2 competition was done by Droopy's Beaufort. Coming up from Cork with trainer Johnny Lennon and owned by Sean Dunphy. Winning in 28.89, showing deadly early pace as well to take that one. Some really nice performances in a packed Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium last night. Wonderful to see. The betting ring was a hive of activity as well. So great to see. Great times in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium. So well done to all involved last night. We're looking forward to a jam-packed couple of weeks ahead in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium, of course. As we said, culminating in the €20,000 John Mitchell and Kilkenny Goba Festival of Racing. Put this date in your diary, folks. Sunday, July 10th. We are really looking forward to that one. Elsewhere, on the card last night, we had the Mary Ransbottom Memorial Novice Final. And this was won by Captain Garfio, making it four from four, unraced, 100% clean record from four races, winning in 28.80 for owner trainer Kenneth Busteed. It was an astounding performance. And Captain Garfio looks to be a very, very nice type indeed. And some very nice pups come out of Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium. And indeed, that trend continues. On Sky Channel 437, you can catch all the action tonight from the English Greyhound Derby final, as we said, where we have three locally connected runners. The final is taking place at quarter past nine. Sky Channel 437, RPG TV. And you can watch Kildare, Hello Hammond and Priceless Jet, all locally connected greyhounds, take part in one of the most prestigious greyhound events in the whole entire globe. 235,000 pounds, should I say, prize money. So best of luck to Kildare. Priceless Chet and Hello, Hello Hammond, the Cronin family, the Hennessy family, the Comerford family and the Murphy family all connected to these locally connected English Greyhound Derby finalists. Best of luck to all and we're looking forward hopefully to bringing the English Greyhound Derby back to the Kilkenny Carlow area. 
We also spoke to Bagnallstown Gales manager Gavin Nolan after his side's win over Nave Breed in the Carlo Senior Hurling Championship. Gavin a win is a win um, so it makes up for last week I suppose and you know a defeat tonight could put you on the back foot but you won it and you've uh, St Mullins I think next week Yeah St Mullins next Saturday yeah but look uh, tonight was all about trying to get the win we had a setback last week and you know it, it was a very hard fought match there tonight and in fairness to Nave Breed they, they went hard at it throughout the game and I suppose our lads just stayed digging in we got the win but look it's it's a round robin thing it's match by match you know the last two matches are done and we're looking forward out to Saturday Day already. Yeah, the positive tonight is you have a few players back that were injured and a few players that you hadn't got last week. I think it was short six last week. I know when you look at panels, people say everyone is training to be on the team, but as regards players in the past with Bagnastone and players, top players, you were short a few last week. You got a few of them back tonight, which is a big help also. Yeah, we got a bit of game time into Alfie there. Um, he was missing last week. He got half, Jake Doyle. Uh, look, it's the way it's going. You know, you're playing week in, week out, you're going to pick up injuries, but we're trying to build a panel that when lads are out or lads are missing, that we have players to come in and step into the fold but it's good to see a couple of them back tonight alright yeah, going forward uh, you were in control for much of the game half time you led 1-8 to 9 points but you let them back into it and you got a goal in the end which kind of won it for you because on seventy min- on 60 minutes rather it was level nearly level one in it yeah there was one in it and we kind of had our backs to the wall um, look there's chances coming games and we're lucky enough we got the goal there when we needed it but I suppose look it's about uh, building it's a work in progress and it's about gearing up now and getting the boys back uh, mentally and physically for Saturday yeah because it comes around quickly it's week after week yeah week after week look it's it's brilliant in one way and it's hard in another way when you have lads picking up injuries but look it's a it's a massive five or six weeks and we're just uh, about getting refocused now and looking forward to Saturday is that a massive two points for you tonight yeah it's a massive two points and it's good to get a win which is big you know suffering a defeat like we did last week you can knock the confidence out of lads but it was all tonight was all about getting the win and focusing on Nave Breed and now it's just moving on and getting ready for the next match ok and I just asked the manager of a uh, Nave Breed earlier on just in relation to the two All-Ireland semi-finals Judith's a great hurling man Kenny and Clare next week uh, you have Galway and Limerick in the other semi-final and we're just looking for the views of the different club managers around the country how do you see the games going? Um, sure look you have to you have to fancy your own cl- your own county obviously look Kilkenny have Kilkenny or Kilkenny they'll, they'll love relishing playing Clare they love Croke Park yeah, too don't they? they love Croke Park it'll be a massive match and It'll be, um, it'll come. I'd say down to a point or two either way. There won't be anything in it, but it's Kilkenny or Kilkenny, and it'll be hard bet up there in Crow Park and all Ireland semi. Can Galway cause? Can Henry cause Limerick problems? Uh, I think, I think Galway could turn them over. It's they've been gearing up all year. They're, you know, they had to sit back in the Leinster final. They came back well the last day, and you know they're coming on under the radar a little bit. And I'm sure Henry and the lads down there will have them boys geared up. They're 60 minutes away from an all Ireland, so it'll be a massive, massive opportunity for them to get there. I'm doing a treble. Kilkenny, Galway, and Bagnastown to be that Mullins next week Gavin thanks a million thank you no. <laughs> cheers <laughs> how do you were a bit unfortunate there you were game till the end there was a point in it on the 60 minutes and you lost out and then they got a goal but uh, you were competitive yeah no we heard well tonight in fairness um, it was a big step up for the lads coming up to senior this year but they they love hurling down here and they want to they want to learn and probably had a couple of chances the cuteness probably got Bagnellstown over the line we missed a few chances and scoreable chances but that's hurling for you unfortunately we need to go again next weekend Yeah because a big step to come back into the senior level as well because people will say between intermediate and senior it is a bit of a step up and as you know Carlo's competitive the St Mullins the Michels the Ballon Killens uh, Mount Leinster Rangers they're, they're big and they're there but you have a few good matches to come but if you play that brand of hurling you won't be too far away because you're, you're obviously happy with some of the things that happened tonight Oh yeah, Brendan, uh, very happy with the work rate. The work rate, like what I'm kind of drilling into, I'm coming down from Kilkenny, is work 
work rate, work rate. Like, and we have a few nice hurlers there. We have a few good forwards, as they call them, marquee forwards. So we kind of feed them as much as we can. But like, we're training well. Training's going well. Bulger Cup didn't go that well. But we're missing eight or nine every day. But tonight now showed them like they can be competitive as senior hurling, and I'm hoping now they'll kick on for next weekend. Yeah, you might be disappointed with a few of the wides in the first half. I know Bagnison probably had more wides, but you had glorious opportunities there. Four, five, and were probably easy. Well, they're easy from where I was standing, but uh, not as easy when. And it was windy enough, I suppose. But you would have been happier if they went over. Yeah, likes of um, we used a couple of easy frees there in the in the first half that he, we would normally miss. There probably our decision making was probably a bit kind of off. But like you always have ways. Like you want you want get a point unless you try. Like you know, on, in fairness, they all went for the shot was on. Few of them kind of plus three wind down here. Few of them kind of went up in the air and blew left to right to the post. But other than that, like I couldn't be, I couldn't. Like, as I said we were there with a very good senior team on full time and they got the breaks and we didn't and that was about the end of it well, it's busy too because they were back out again next weekend so there's no real rest uh, Ballon Kill next uh, next weekend um, 1 o'clock here again I think so yeah so it's just kind of nursing them through training Tuesday night Friday night and then kind of getting them right for again next week but if they put in forms like that like we should be okay you know and will you be heading for Crocker for Kenny and Clare Ah, see that they got the fixture today for the matches on Sunday. Probably <laughs> pushing it. Right. Yeah, go. Herself has a has the golf tickets got as well, so it could be pulled all over the place. Right, well, looking at that, just when we have you on there as well, Kenny and Claire. It's not going to be simple, but uh, Claire have done really well. But Kenny or Kilkenny, and it is a semi final, Paddy. Yeah, uh, Kilkenny probably not going as well as they want, but Brian Cody probably be happy with the way they are going because they they always come in under the radar. Like they didn't have a chance last year against Cork and just got pipped an extra time so I'd give them every chance especially going up to Croke Park Clare wouldn't be used to it up there and the Clare normally when they see a Kilkenny jersey they kind of it's kind of 50-50 they kind of go back into their shell so hopefully next Saturday is the same OK well listen we wish you well with Nave Breed and uh, well done on the great work tonight unfortunately on the defeat but look at the only way is up yeah. Cheers, thanks Paddy good man thanks a million thanks Paddy Kilkenny had a fantastic win in the Camogie Championship yesterday we caught up with the Kilkenny Camogie manager Brian Dowling We also spoke to Kilkenny free taker Denise Gall. Here's what she had to say. Denise Gall, job done. Four wins out of four. Another comprehensive victory here in UPMC Nolan Park today against Offaly. Looking forward now to the big one next week. Um, oh yeah, I suppose, look, it was just to get over the line today and come away with the three points. Um, but look, it's a tough match and today and it kind of sets us up good for next weekend, hopefully. So look, just looking forward to Galway and see. I suppose we'll know where we're at really after that match. Lillian given a, a few, she always does at the wrong moments. Um, we know Brian and the management team never looks too far ahead, always one game at a time. So I suppose you never really took awfully for granted and it showed, but you were awesome in the first half, rattling off 12 points unanswered. Yeah, oh Jesus, no, look, we've played awfully enough over the years to know what they'll bring and they always bring a, a good fight to the match and look, there's some great hurlers as well, but yeah, look, I suppose playing with the wind in the first half gave us a good advantage, it was tough out there in the second half to, to get any bit of rhythm going against so, um, yeah, look, it just kind of set us up, I suppose, and look enough to come around away with the wind. And we're down here on pitch side at the minute and you can actually feel the breeze and it's a fairly strong breeze here now um, at the minute, so you utilise that very well. The second half, there was a lot of changes made so the fluidity in your movement probably wasn't what you might have liked but you still managed to get over the line and get the job done but would you be disappointed now with the goals that was conceded? Yeah definitely look I think if you're coming away not disappointed with them goals 
there's something wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, it's, it is disappointing, I suppose. Um, to know that we were opened up probably there, but um, oh look, we'll have to learn from it, and that's what these matches are for as well. I suppose if you're going out beating teams well and not not taking that, and for the next day you're not really gaining that neither. So look, we'll go back and watch it back and just see what to improve on. And poor Cahill McAllister got the Denise Gall treatment as well. Yeah, you weren't too happy with him in a, a couple of decisions there in the second half. I don't know, sure they don't help themselves either, do they? But uh, oh sure, look, it's it's um. It's all one way with him, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he's not the worst fella now we've had. I <laughs> know, oh, Jesus, no, look, look, in fairness, look, they, they're seeing one thing, I suppose, we're seeing another thing, and that's your look, it's, it's grand up all a bit of fun but yeah it is Galway now uh, next weekend it's going to be a tough encounter I suppose you're looking at it as potentially going there getting the result topping the group and getting straight into the semi-final yeah look geez, I suppose to get straight to the semi is a big advantage but look I suppose we're under no illusions it'll be an almighty battle up there and look uh, we'll see I suppose it'll really tell us where we're at like we haven't played Galway at all this year um, through the league or anything so look we're looking forward it's always a, a good match regardless I think they're pretty much like us they just want to go out and hurl very little tactics as well and you know you enjoy playing teams like that as well it's, it's a lot different to days like this as well so look we're all looking forward to it anyway yeah, well, it certainly is but anyway four wins out of four <coughs> not bad going well done and we'll see you in Atenroy next week yeah perfect yeah thanks Martin We also spoke to Paul Cummins on Kilkenny Storm's success at last weekend's hockey playoffs. Storm by Paul Cummins. Paul, how are you doing, sir, today? Well, Shane, how's it going? All good? All, all good. G- all good. Uh, I suppose the big celebrations are in order. Just to let everybody know, you've seen the under-13 and under-18 side finish as league champions in the inline hockey Ireland playoffs, moved on to secure their respective playoff crowns for the 2022 season, while the under-15 and elite teams picked up a third-place bronze for their finishes over the weekend. How impressive of a weekend was it for Kilkenny Storm? Uh, it's actually very impressive. Um, uh, the, the two teams went on beating beating clubs from Cork and Dublin with huge memberships and, and facilities, so it, it was uh, quite spectacular. And the bronze in the 15s and and elite were actually uh, better than they, they seem because our under 15s team is made up of a lot of our under 13s team, and our elite team is made up of mostly our under 18s team. So it. Um, you know, to finish bronze in those divisions as well is, is very impressive. So, yeah, it is uh, big celebrations and uh, it was a massive achievement for us. When you go into these events, you know, you always want to win, but sometimes expectations had to be tempered. But did you expect so much success at this event? Um, I suppose in under-13s and 18s, we, we were very strong. Um, we came up against teams uh, in, in the playoffs that we, we, we really had beaten well, but we really struggled to beat in the playoffs. As everybody knows, when you reach the finals, uh, uh, it's a different story. Playoff hockey or playoff in, in any sport is, is a different animal. Everybody um, throws caution into win and gives it everything. Um, so it, it was very competitive, um, but still, um, it, it was just to give you a, a bit of an insight, uh, our under 18 team and our elite team was, was live streamed and when those teams competed against the northern teams um, the the viewing uh, figures on the internet uh, quadrupled because there were such tight such fast uh, games and um, so when those particular teams played the, the, the internet kind of blew up I suppose as we would say and it um, 
it just shows the, the competitiveness of the Kilkenny team. They were playing one of the banger teams from the north, um, and they were they were fantastic games, and we we got great compliments actually from all over the world, from coaches and leagues all over the world, uh, how impressed they were. Yeah, that's brilliant. And uh, yeah, I know you mentioned that some of the lads are kind of playing under 13s and under 15s and then under 18s and elites, but it seems like you have, it's ever expanding and it's ever growing and that there is a want for it within the county. Yeah, well, you know, our place that we were, we're, we're stuck kind of in a, between a rock and a hard place. We, 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 we could really, really expand big time, especially on the strength of this, but we really have nowhere to expand. We haven't got the, the capacity to because of our restrictions. Um, but but if, if people can watch videos on YouTube and see we were in Gormanston in, in County Mead, which is a huge facility, and it was packed out the whole weekend from teams all over the country and spectators and stuff like that. It, um, yeah, it, it was very big, and it, it's getting bigger and bigger the whole time, and I just hope we, we, we can expand it. Because, uh, like, our under-13s team now will be moving to under-15s next season, so we need new recruits, we need people to come in, we have the equipment and we have the coaches and stuff like that, so we just need people to come in, not expect too much from the facilities except what it is, and, and, and you know, if, if, we were, if we're competing on such a high level where we are now, uh, hopefully in, in the future when we hopefully get better facilities, things will just even pick up even more. And when you see successes like this, then do you think that kind of puts pressure on? Because, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit and you're a massive proponent of it online and when you come on here. But does it give you hope that the much needed multi-purpose sports facility will come to Kilkenny one day when you see the continued success and progression of the club? against Hope. I'm actually in Limerick at the minute. Um, I, I'm at a do, a family do here in Limerick, right across the road from UL. And we just went across to watch the the World Ultimate Frisbee Championships. There's 3,000 competitors from all over the world here playing the World Ultimate Frisbee Championships. It's unbelievable. Like the, I would have never seen it or heard of it before. Um, I didn't even know it was on. It's only pure luck. But you have 3,000 people extra, plus their fans and everything, uh, and family and everything in Limerick. This can happen in Kilkenny with, with not just our sport, but with all minority sports. And this is the, this is the, the thing where uh, I believe where we're stuck in the past. You know, a lot of the politicians always use the, the words progression and initiative and diversity and stuff like that. But really, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, Kilkenny is stuck in the past. It's all about the you know the medieval mile and the past and look after the old buildings and we're, we're not we're not supporting the people the here and now you know it's it's an ever changing world and I, 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 in in every aspect sport is only a small part of it now. and I do believe that local council and government really need to pull up their socks and and support all aspects of society now you know the the broad diversity of sport and and it's not just grass pitches, it's not just GA and, and it's not just, you know, rugby and football. There's a massive diverse of people that play a huge diverse part of sports and really, really we need to care for that. And, and our sport is just one of many, you know, so um, I, I hope the success that we have is recognised and I hope, you know, that, that it does put pressure on for to provide facilities for sports and not just for us but like us that really, really need it. You know, Kilkenny's in a bad place at the minute. Um, I, I really do between anti-social behaviour, between drug abuse and everything and, and we, we, we need to rethink what we're doing and I, I really believe that facilities and, and these kind of programmes are, are one part of the jigsaw. So yeah, I, I hope it does help. What I like about when you're saying it is it, it, it isn't all about Kilkenny Storm. Uh, you're talking about other 
kind of disciplines getting the the benefit of it. I remember not so long ago about the all the trouble down at Kieran Street in Kilkenny and the antisocial behaviour that was going down there. And what really struck me is the people online says, well, there's nothing for people to do. There's nothing for young people to kind of get invested in if they didn't have a massive interest in, say, a, a team sport like soccer or hurling and how alcohol was cheaper and you'd get longer of a buzz out of it than you would by going to the cinema for two hours and the cinema would be more expensive. So these kind of things, you're, you're, you're 100% kind of believing that it will help fix all these issues, not all of them, but fix these some of the issues that are happening within Kilkenny. Yeah, it's, it's a big part of the jigsaw. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, proof of that all over the world in, in the Scandinavian countries and the likes of Iceland and stuff like that. Um, we're from Lockboy. You know, when we grew up in Lockboy, they took away the basketball courts, they took away the handball alleys, they took away Scandinavian Park to privatise it, they took away the, the um, uh, play area down in the Black Quarry, and they took away the village hurling club because we, the public could go in and play in it. They took all that away and replaced it with absolutely nothing. That's not how... It works. It, it can't, you can't take all that away, privatise it, or just take it away and not replace it with something for the kids. Of course the kids are going to hang around the town. They did the same with the skateboarders. The, the council paid thousands of euros stopping the kids skating on the parade and, and, and putting up barriers and stuff like that. And 20 years later, they decide, oh, OK, then we'll, we'll spend the money and put in a skate park. It's just so much backwards thinking. We're always 20 years behind. It just seems to be 20 years behind everything. You know, listen to the people of Kilkenny. You know, they're, they're crying out for different facilities, different activities so their kids can go. You know, the, the, the likes of us who are adults now and have kids, well, we came from a different area. We could go places and do things and you had a choice, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, that choice wasn't there. Not everybody plays hurling and soccer. So, it, it, like I said, it's a diverse world. There's, uh, I'm here watching in UL, I just watched the world, the ultimate Frisbee champion. Like, it's unreal. Three three thousand competitors in in one area, like that's fantastic. It's it's an unbelievable skillful sport. I would have never thought. Um, it's just one thing that's creeping into Ireland. You have roller derby is not in Kilkenny anymore. It was because they can't find anywhere else to play. You know, wheelchair rugby doesn't exist in Kilkenny because they have nowhere to play. These are all hardcore sports, and you know, box lacrosse and indoor field hockey. Every one of those sports struggle struggle because they're 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 a hard ball stick sport. You know, and all the, the facilities in Kenny have windows, plastered walls, pillars. They're just not designed for, for hardcore, high-paced sports. They're all soft-court sports or, or play areas. And it, it really is time that, that um, especially Kilkenny, who, who, who promote uh, initiative and, and in diversity always in every speech they do, but yet when you look at it really to the nitty-gritty, they don't. It's, it's just the same, same old ideas. And uh, it's, it's tiresome. When I I see it online and when you're commenting online and you're you're trying to interact with certain politicians, you don't often get a response. You're often met with silence from people that you're kind of posting underneath or anything. Does that generally happen if you meet them in person and you kind of express your issues there? Yeah, so that's a that's a two-edged sword. Most of them have blocked me at this stage, and I really don't believe blame them. Um, I have some hardcore views and. and Personally, when I interact with them, I, I don't take these things personally, and, and, and they don't, to be honest with you. It has to be a part of their job. But but I've become, kind of become something I hate, like a keyboard warrior. Now, I do walk the walk. I, I, I practice what I preach. I, I coach. I'm not one of these fly-by-night guys. But, yeah, it, it, sometimes when you, when you ask a question or, or Malcolm Noonan the other day um, 
saying that it takes, he's disappointed that it took, it's going to take two to three years for a plan for Kilkenny County Council to, to come up with a plan. Two to three years is a, is a dream for County Council to do anything. But yeah, which was he, he was a part of. And I commented on that on the other night and he, he, of course he, he blocked me. But, but that was only the last straw because I was always kind of onto him. These are the things that bug me. They, they pick and choose what they agree with, what they don't agree with. His advice to me was it's going to take a long, long time. But yet, when it comes to his push on cycling and stuff like that, two to three years is not enough. 16 years now we've been pushing for a multi-sports facility and still being told to have patience and, you know, talk to this guy and talk to that guy. So a lot of the politicians will, will promote one thing when it suits them, but it doesn't suit when, when it, it comes to something else. So, yeah, it, it, it irks me a small bit. Um, I try to be as polite as I can when I, I post stuff up about these things, but sometimes I just I, I, I lose it a little bit. I don't get the responses, and then sometimes I'm blocked. So, but look, it, it is what it is. It's a cat and mouse game. Um, it always will be. So I, I, I don't know what the end story is. I can just keep plugging away. Like you said, we had great success. We, we were not only talking the talk, we're walking the walk. Um, and hopefully, some someone with a bit of progressive thinking will will back us and. We'll get what we deserve and, and need. It's not just us, but but Kilkenny. Yeah, yeah. like we've seen the the whole. I was involved in the Kilkenny music scene, and we had a bubbling Kilkenny music scene for for many years. They were going by that. If you build it, they will come, and only great things will happen. That's kind of died by the wayside. You have a lot of cover bands. You have a lot of solo artists because there's no kind of facility for bands to really play their original music so you know you lament the, the loss of that and we've seen tremendous success when we had the old zoo nightclub um, so I know from a music perspective exactly what you're feeling in terms of getting back to Kilkenny Storm then when will preparations for the new season begin are you going to have to take advantage of the Irish uh, summer in air quotes but are you going to have to take advantage of the good weather because we know where you train there's a lot of leaks and stuff during the winter yeah, so we're, we're kind of taking a two-week break. It was such a short season because of COVID. It, we, we, we fit a full season into such a, a short couple of months, so we were doing a, a massive amount of travelling um, with a massive amount of cost. So we're, 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 we've taken, uh, I think it's like a two-and-a-half-week break, and we're starting back. And uh, it, it's just, you know, putting their, your head to the grindstone and, and then starting all over again. Hopefully players will move up age groups we'll hold on to a lot of players and then recruit a few more it's it's never never ending um, the weather is a massive bonus to us it's hard to believe for an indoor sport that, that yes the, the the weather is a bonus that we can you know probably get to train more regularly um, so yes we will be taking advantage of, of the weather at the minute and then let's just hope that, that you know something comes up fairly soon because uh it, it's hard for the kids as they get older. Um, small kids training the facility we have is brilliant, but like some of the kids that I had under 12s a couple of years ago are now on the senior elite team, where under 12s, the hall was big enough for them to skate, whereas now, you know, the likes of, of Zach Cummins, my oldest son, Alec Young, Adam Foreman, who started with me at 10 and 11, are now a big part to play for their national senior team and are on the, the senior elite team. It's so small, it's like playing in the phone box from there. There's no comparison. So we're suffering a little bit on, on the latter side. Um, but, you know, we we can only do what we can do with the facilities we have. So, to, well, to answer your question, yes, we're going to hit two weeks' time. We're back on and we're going to help for letter and hopefully improve on, on the championships next year. 
Well, Paul, once again, thank you for coming on to the show and huge props for the tremendous success that you've had with the under-13s, under-15s, under-18s and the elite teams. You know that you're going to continue to champion inline hockey as well with the Irish team. You have your martial arts background and your gym that you're going as well. So massive kudos to flourishing even coming out of the COVID experience. No doubt we'll be chatting to you again very, very soon. I appreciate all the support you give me and then listen to me whining and whinging on this. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Have a good day. Paul Cummins, ladies and gentlemen, coach and uh, martial arts extraordinary. I'd love to even just sit down and talk to him about his martial arts career someday because you go down to O'Loughlin's and the sellout shows that are happening there. Still fights happening now. We're going to have Fight Into Light coming back soon on July 22nd. We chatted with Jimmy John- Donnelly, uh, Barry Delaney and Owen Doyle about that last week. So no doubt that's going to be a huge, huge night as well. Lots still to come here on Scoreline. Don't go anywhere. Deborah Foley, who is acting coordinator with the community department of Carlow County Council, also joined us on Scoreline to tell us about a whole host of activities being run this summer. The officer, her name is Teresa O'Mara, and she's been working with us now for just over three years. So part of Teresa's remit is to engage with people with intellectual and uh, physical disabilities and to try and help them increase and open their opportunities to engage in physical activities. So it started very small um, when Teresa first started with one or two camps and now we've grown to a wide range of camps. But what's wonderful about them all is that they're completely inclusive. So they are for people with additional needs, but they're also for brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, siblings. They're, they're inclusive of mainstream children as well. So if someone is walking by or cycling by, they wouldn't notice the difference that it's an inclusive camp at all. Oh, brilliant. And how important are these camps then to keep people active during these summer months? Oh, very much so. I mean, you spoke just there before I came on about the impact that COVID has had on sport. It had a particular impact on, I suppose, families that have children and young adults with intellectual or physical disabilities because a lot of times the lifeline to their, I suppose, um, communication and to their integration into society is through sport and physical activity and all of that um, was lost. So we tried to support as best we could with online support and online summer camps. We did have a very high level of engagement, but like that, they just didn't have the impact. So we're delighted that we're finally back to being able to run our camps in an open and I suppose in the maximum capacity that we can as well. And it's also a way to get people involved in sports at a ground level as well, without having the competitiveness there that people might so might kind of shun when they want to get involved during a regular season. It's a great way to get involved at grassroots level and then make a decision if you want to go ahead with it from then on. Absolutely. Like it is a pity that we are Carlos Sports Partnership because it is so much more than sports. Like you say, it's grassroots physical activity and people often forget that recreation is a part of physical activity as well. So these camps are a great way insofar as we connect with the local sports groups or national government bodies as, as they're called, like the um, local soccer clubs or basketball clubs. We integrate the um, the camps into those so that Teresa's remit really would be to make sure that there's an inclusive team that comes out of the camps for children and families who do want to compete, but that also we'll have the camps and the recreational opportunities for those that don't want to, to want to go on and compete. And there's, there's uh, like looking at the website there, there's a whole host of various different camps as well. Yeah. It's great to see something like there's the inclusive FAI football for all camps. So, you know, you'll have yeah. the, the football authority of, of Ireland kind of getting involved as well, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. And what's not listed here, we also link with um, the Tullow 
um, the Tullow Rugby Club, excuse me, and Leinster Rugby are actually coming down this year to host the camp and our inclusive camp out in the Tullow, out in the, excuse me, out in Carlow Rugby Club, and you can see all the details on that on their Facebook page as well. And Gary Cody, who is the FAI development officer in Carlow, is excellent, and he supports us in every capacity in running our inclusive FAI camp as well. Brilliant, that's fantastic to hear. Would it, would that be then down? Say, would the owners come on the Carlos Sports Partnership to be able to make those connections or have you found say someone from the FAI was was kind of coming to you and seeing how it can be a bit more inclusive Exactly so it kind of works both ways like for the larger NGBs we would help with their development officers we um, provide tutors for the camps we have a wonderful range of expertly trained and experienced tutors who provide the support that the attendees or participants would need, whereas the FAI tutors would then roll out the camp as normal, if that makes sense. So our tutors assist the children to participate, and then the onus would be on the FAI to deliver, I suppose, the physical activity part of the camp, but we just support that to make sure that their tutors feel safe and supported and that all the participants are safe and supported as well. So, um, But then we'll say for the likes of our cycling camps, where there's one in the Queen of the Universe National School in Bagley, Town and one in uh, Carlo College that would be run specifically by us as the local sports partnership and we bring in a cycle ride tutor called Roisin Hickey who delivers the camp again with the help of our specially trained and experienced tutors. And for GEA fans as well, a day out in Netwatch Cullen Park, uh, each day, five days out in Netwatch Cullen Park, yeah. I can see here for the inclusive Cull Camp, uh, half days each day, that's a, just going to be a tremendous incentive to people to get to line out on the inter-county stage. Exactly, that's it. And it's really great. Like the um, the cool camp is actually wonderful because, as you know, it's completely mainstream. So if you're sitting up in the stand and you're looking down, you don't see or you don't notice that there may be a child with additional need, needs just in the mix with everyone else. All they would have maybe if they need one-on-one support is a tutor beside them, helping them with the drills and helping them with the games. But like I say, if you're coming from an outsider looking in, you would never know that there is an inclusive element in the camp because that's what we aim to do. It's all integration. It's not a segregated piece or it's not a special, we say special need for want of a better word camp it's a fully inclusive and integrated model that we try and work off Is it an incentive of the Carlos Sports Partnership to have a wide range of sports because you can see from the different camps that you're, you have there you have cycling you have soccer you have basketball you have GEA you have rugby you have a diverse range of sports is that kind of part of your your ethos is that you want to be able to provide for and cater to many different tastes Exactly. Like in a nutshell, our I suppose our remit is to lower the barriers to participation for those who experience the greatest barriers to do so. So that would be people from um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, women in sport, teenage girls in sport, men over the age of forty-five, and then there's the inclusive element as well with people who may suffer from all from uh, mobility issues physical or intellectual disabilities or older adults. Our remit is just to really try and open up every sector of sport and physical activity to all the populations that, I suppose, experience the greatest barriers to do so. Are these the biggest things then coming up for a Carlos Sports Partnership? Do you have more plans for the rest of the year? Yeah, absolutely. So summer is obviously a very big delivery part for us, but we have ongoing programmes throughout the years. Like, I don't know if you noticed the two Boogie Buddies yeah. programmes, yeah. one in Carlotown Park and one in Tullatown Park. So they're for um, new parents, um, moms, dads, grandparents, guardians, and it's really a social element with a physical activity walk on it. Um, we have Play Day, which is coming up on the 9th of July, and that's out in Duckett's Grove. There's 250 tickets available there where you can trace, build and colour your own kite and also experience some orienteering and a guided treasure hunt as well. And then a big one that we don't have listed here that has been hugely popular over the last two years, we'll be advertising it this week, is Her Outdoors. 
So that's a programme for adult women. And this year we are going to do a stand-up paddle boarding, lunch and yoga from Greg Namana down to St Mullins. And that's for 16 people. Or a full day's kayaking trip from Goresbridge to Greg Namana uh, on Tuesday the 9th of August. And that will be for 20 people. So it's for women only. So like that, we do a lot of work throughout the year. We do a lot of work with older adults, all the active retirement groups that may not be advertised on the website here, but you'll see it all on our own um, social media pages. Or you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter on carolesportspartnership.ie to get up to date on absolutely everything that we're running. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the Facebook page, you're very active on that. I've seen you're at the Carlos Arts Festival as well, lots of fun and traditional games. So I want to ask you, the controversial thing that happened at Glastonbury at the week, there was people out jogging apparently at Glastonbury. There was running camps and stuff. I suppose you might be a big advocate for that. I think so, yeah. It's all about intrinsic motivation, isn't it? So fair play to you if you're able to get up a morning after Glastonbury and go for a run, like um, more power to you. But I think a lot of times in social media, people can get sucked into feeling guilty and feeling bad that they're not the ones up running and all that type of thing. So what we advocate is just to get up and move in your day, just enjoy some kind of physical activity. And it doesn't have to be in a structured environment or a competitive environment, just whatever works for you, get up and move, you know? Do you think that the kind of mentality of, say, something like a Glastonbury or you know the old kind of rock and roll star that's kind of gone by the wayside you mightn't see as many kind of people having so many vices and there's a lot of promotion of health and fitness coming from celebrities and stuff would you notice that amongst kind of young teens now that they have a bit more focus on on their fitness and their health and well-being Absolutely. I mean, I think we can see from the lack of smoking among young people, there's been a huge amount of work done by the HSE there that's clearly reaping the reward now. I mean, um, obesity is still an issue and mental health and body images is, uh, imagery is always going to be an issue among, I suppose, a certain demographic, particularly teenagers. But I do think that we are moving in the right sphere. I think that teenagers are more socially conscious and more environmentally aware of what they're consuming. And I hope that they are more savvy about social media than we were when it was first introduced, you know. So I do think that there's definitely an upward trend in health and fitness among um, among teenagers and young people. But I do hope that they are mindful of the Kim Kardashians of the world who are pushing diet supplements that are not going to be a be-all and a, an end-all to health and fitness, if that makes sense. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure again to talk to you, uh, Deborah. Just so people, we can revert back to all the yeah. camps that are going on. How can people sign up if they're liking what they're hearing? So if you just go to Ticket Taylor and search Carlos Sports Partnership, you find a list of absolutely everything that we have going on there. Or again, sign up to our weekly newsletter on Carlos Sports Partnership, or excuse me, carlosports.ie, or everything is on our socials. You can get us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We're absolutely everywhere. You can't avoid us. Brilliant, Deborah. Absolute pleasure getting to talk to you. Have a great weekend. I'm just looking out the window there now, and it's raining. So hopefully, uh, if you're up in Carlo, it's, you're getting a bit of a better weather. Thanks so much. No, it's miserable here. <laughs> Robbie Dowling also caught up with Isabel Johnson from Her Sport to talk about the sexualisation of women in sport. Here's what she had to say. I suppose the first question I posed to you is about it because it really was an enlightening article, like I said. Um, what was your reasoning behind writing the article? Well, I was... Um I am an intern for her sport, and for some of the articles that I've done previously, I've had to do research on different athletes, and part of that, I would go on YouTube and search an athlete and try to find some of her best moments or different events that she has participated in, 
And I noticed that every time I would Google a sportswoman's name, a lot of videos would pop up that weren't about her athletic abilities. It would be um, like screenshots of the sportswoman in suggested positions with weird titles like beautiful moments or cute moments. And it just kind of shocked me because I'd never really thought about that before. Um, So that's something that I've noticed the past couple of weeks. And I just decided, hey, I should probably sit down and say something about this because I don't know if it's something that everybody else has noticed. And uh, you mentioned that YouTube channel with over 50,000 subscribers in the article. And in your own words, you used were they have close-up shots of the athletes' bodies or the women in suggested positions. As a woman, how depressing is it to see a channel like that garner so much interest? Yeah, when I first came across the videos, it's not typically something that I would click on, but I saw them so many times that, like, the account that I kept seeing pop up, I um, ended up clicking on it just because I was curious how many other videos there were, how many people were watching them. And seeing that there were almost 60,000 subscribers was very, it was super disheartening to see, but I wouldn't be able to say in good conscience that I was shocked to see it because it is something that unfortunately as a woman you're used to seeing and you're used to hearing people say these things about female athletes and just women in general so it's definitely not shocking but very upsetting to see that's interesting that you say that because obviously um i would have a background in sport a lot of people on our team here on scoreline would have a background in sports but as a male you just you never kind of even think about that you just get on with it and once you're done playing whatever sport and event it might be um you go on to the next one but for a woman to it does it become at some stage and this is kind of sad to say but do you almost become immune to comments like that to it's just almost the norm that these youtube channels or whatever these sites are you know rating women on how they look when they're elite sports people is this something that has just become the norm and you get used to it and how depressing is that i mean it definitely it's something that happens so often that you are kind of i wouldn't say immune to it but it is something that you have to almost internalize and just go about your day um yeah because it does happen to so many sportswomen and particularly just all the things that I've seen on YouTube, like these women aren't going to quit their sports because they see these videos. It's obviously something that they love to do. Um, And it's awful that what they're passionate about and what they love to do is being turned into these disgusting things. But it is just kind of something that you've learned to deal with. Not that you should, but it happens because it's such a common occurrence. Yeah, I had a look at the YouTube channel that you named in the article, and I must say um, it's not in short of, of disgraceful. Um, what do you think the root of the problem is, Isabella, when it comes to how the wider public views female sports people compared to their male counterparts? Because like you say, it really is chalk and cheese um, f- from the wider society. Do you think it, it is a problem at large, or do you think there's kind of, you know, th- these sort of a small group that are very loud online shall we say or do you think that there are you know wider issues in society and in sport in general well the it definitely is a smaller group that's being very loud with some of these more extreme versions but um the sexualization of women is very built into society as its core 
And there's so many different things that can contribute to this. And I don't know, it's kind of a just large overarching issue with so many different facets that it's kind of hard to pinpoint where exactly this came from or why it keeps happening. And what do you think is the best way to tackle it? Is it true sport itself? Do you go straight to maybe uh, the root of the problem in that way? Or, or do you have to tackle a true education in society? Not just of, obviously, you know, young boys, but even adults who maybe treat women with uh, such disrespect. Yeah, it's, there needs to be more conversations surrounding it. Because if it's something that just keeps getting swept under the rug. It's just going to keep happening worse and worse. And inherently like young children are not raised with these ideas in their head it's it's something that they see in the world around them and something that they pick up from the people in their lives um and i think it's just something that we need to keep having conversations about and we need to keep teaching hopefully adults they're not as susceptible to teachings as younger kids are um just teaching them how to be better and how to do better and for you, as a woman who has a massive interest in sport and um, you know wrote a really interesting article, I must say, for anyone that hasn't read it, they should check it out on her sport. Um, what, what would equality for women in sport look like? Is there a kind of a, a utopian world where uh, men and women are treated equally, or, or do you think that is ever achievable? I mean, that's the goal. As of right now, there are 40% of athletes are around 41% of athletes are women and women only get like 6% of media coverage. So obviously these women's teams aren't, don't have the ability to gain the same fan bases that the men's teams do who get all of the media coverage and all of the promotional opportunities. Um, That's what her sport is working on. We're trying to give these sportswomen and athletes a platform to hopefully help grow their I don't want to say fan bases per se, but it almost is. And obviously there is a long way to go, as you say, but how much further along are we now compared to the past when it comes to equality for female sports stars? I must say, as someone that works in the media, um, I do think there is a lot more coverage being given to women's sport across the board. Obviously, you know, the likes of her sport are really championing it on a great scale and it is great to see. But but do you think we have moved a lot further along? When you see the likes of maybe, you know, some a boxer like Katie Taylor, I don't think there's any... Um, sort of other word than respect and love that she gets from the from the entire nation of Ireland um, and countless other female sports stars too here in Ireland. Do you think it's more about kind of, you know, do, do you think we are further along in that sense? Of- we definitely are further along. Like I know you mentioned Katie Taylor. Like when you go online, if you were to search boxers or Irish boxers, Katie Taylor is one of the first people that pop up because she is so popular and respected and she's incredible. Um, just, just with regards to the media, how important is media coverage in helping to change uh, the narrative that's around female sports? Um, not just the likes of her sport that obviously you, you, you're doing your job with at the moment, but the wider kind of um, publications and, and online sites in terms of really helping to grow the sport and seeing female and male sports stars as equals. The more excited that we get people to follow women's sports and the more... Um, opportunities that these teams and these players 
can have. Um, opening up media coverage, like I said earlier, if the more women's sports are covered, the more people get excited about the teams that they're that are being covered. The more that they can build these groups of loyal viewers and fans and people who genuinely want to see them. And that opens up a world of possibility for sponsorships and just so many different ways that these female athletes to succeed and company or um, news outlets that give those platforms for female athletes really help with that yeah i think that that's certainly the case just one one question actually isabella that crossed my mind there was maybe obviously there's massive inequalities when you compare male sports stars with female sports stars but also individual female sports stars with team sports stars i think it's fair to say when you think of the likes of tennis as we were spoke about katie taylor with boxing i think individual female sports get a lot more coverage than their you know collective team sports um when it comes to the female side of uh, side of things do you think there is almost an inequality there that needs to be looked at too i mean completely honest i've actually never thought about that that is an interesting perspective to think of and um i recently did i was working on another article where i was um talking about the highest paid female athletes from last year and almost all of them were tennis players and I'm not sure if that's specifically from the fact that they are more household names than per se other sports like team sports yeah um that is something really interesting that I've never thought about though actually yeah, I, th- I think it's certainly something that um, a lot of people uh, would like to have a think about because I do think, um, as I said, you know, tennis is really, you know, if you tune into Wimbledon that's starting next week, I don't think anyone would just tune into the men's side of things or the women's side of things. I think if, you, if you're a tennis fan or even if you're just a sports fan in general, you'll tune into both and enjoy both equally. And I would certainly like to see mm-hmm. all other sports become like that because the quality on display on the female side of things, we obviously do a lot of sports coverage here on Scoreline, Camogie, ladies football, soccer I mean it is truly incredible on a local level here in Kilkenny and Carlow and also wider not, not just nationally but internationally the amount of sports stars we have the women's European championships taking place in England a uh, little later on this summer and uh, you know stuff like that is, is absolutely incredible and the quality on display as I said is second to none really mm-hmm. just before I let you go Isabella because unfortunately the conversation what I've really enjoyed has been a lot of talk about kind of doom and gloom and the disappointing side of how um, female sports is covered her sport continues to grow, of course. Um, how exciting is it to see a website dedicated solely to women's sport doing so well? It is really exciting. I mean, we're we're working every day trying to find new ways that we can continue to grow her sport and how we can keep reaching out or branching out to so many different groups of people and how we can get them involved. Um, it is really exciting. And I think it's important that we have brands like that who will take the time to highlight women in sports and female athletes because they do deserve it and they're not getting enough. So it's, it's very exciting to see from a her sport perspective, people joining and engaging and getting excited about the things that we're putting out because that means that these athletes are getting more recognition that they may not have before. 
it really is great to see and um, the work being done on her sport like I said earlier if anyone hasn't uh, read any articles including your own very very enlightening article on the sexualisation of women in sport check it out at hersport.ie we will certainly continue to champions women's sport locally and further afield here on Scoreline thanks very much for talking to me today Isabella Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yes, that was Isabella Johnson of Her Sport, rightly lamenting the over-sexualisation of women in sports. Stick around here on Scoreline. Sheila Donnelly also joined Shane on Scoreline on Sunday to talk about the Scun Donnelly Memorial Tournament in New Park next Saturday. Welcome back to Scoreline. We'll be hearing from Park Almond in just a bit. But now we're going to stay talking about soccer. But next hour we'll dedicate and have a bit of a chat about soccer. And why not? Because Sheila Donnelly is about to join me, the wife of Scun Donnelly, who this cup, the Scun Donnelly Memorial, is named after. On the Scun Cup taking place next Saturday in New Park with ladies, men's, under-19s and legends all involved. Joining me now on the line is Sheila. Sheila, how do I find you this Sunday? You keeping well? I'm keeping well. I'm well. Good. Good afternoon. Very good afternoon. It's tremendous getting to speak with you. I was speaking with Jimmy there last week and a smile came across my face when I seen social media post that the Cup is coming back. It's the first time since before COVID, I believe, that has been played. How great is it to be back? Oh, look, um, it'll be absolutely a great tournament. It's great fun. And uh, we really enjoyed the whole of New Park and uh, other people across the city get involved in it. And we raise a few pounds for charity also. So um, it's really always a very good afternoon, I have to say. Um, and I take, um, I love taking part in it, helping out in some way with the shop or with fundraising or something for it. And for yourself, how great is it that Scun's name and his life has been celebrated like this? Oh, look, I'm delighted because um, he was one of the founders of that team and done a huge amount of work up there, along with a lot of other people and uh, in the very early days. And uh, some of them even have passed on now. And I'm just thinking when this comes around, I think to the Mags. Heffernan's, the Jeffrey Lattie's, and um, of course the few that's alive then is Mickey Hayes, Ron Arnie Carl, Pat Carl, and uh, all of those people that were around at that time and got together and got this club up and off the, their feet. And it's still going to this day. And the Scuns tournament really brings us all back together because, of course, he lived for that soccer, for that soccer team when he was alive. Uh, he was more often up in the field than he was at home. So for me, for me, it's great to see that he's been remembered in this way. And, and how much would Scun appreciate something like this? Oh, sure, he'd be delighted uh, to see his name up in something like this and to see, I mean, he's 11 years gone now, um, Lord of mercy on him. And I mean, he, when this comes around, he's, his name is on everybody's lips. I'm sure he couldn't have wished for more. He would have been delighted. 
you mentioned the the history of New Park and you know I've played against New Park a lot of times in, in down in the bog and it's amazing to see the community rallying behind the site every time you go down there it's like a fortress and that can only be done when you have people like Scone and, and Mags Heffernan and all these people that you mentioned that started the infrastructure for the club to, to, to blossom how much did the club mean to him and also to you? Well, um, I suppose, as you say, everybody follows the club and uh, we're all out there on days and we love to see the club doing well. But we, um, our children were brought up with it and um, we as volunteers loved to get involved back then and um, it meant an awful lot to us. And at the time, we really wanted to see the young, the young fellas coming up and getting involved in sport and we wanted a pitch that we could be proud of. And, of course, uh, we have that today, and we're very thankful to the Kilkenny County Council, of course, down through the years for um, the upkeep of it and all of that. But, look, to say um, we were just... All the young people were brought up with it, and the people up here just love their new park teams. And we're also very proud of our women's team, and um, our only wish for that would be that there would more women get involved in soccer and that our team wouldn't have to play in the Carlo League, that they could play in the Kilkenny League. But hopefully that's the future. Yeah, well, uh, my two sisters play with New Park uh, in, in the Carlo District League and they, they won the Shield final and you see the, the Cliffords playing there and stuff. It's just a tremendous team that, that they've been able to kind of put together, people that used to play in Women's National League and, and stuff like that. So it's brilliant having that there as it is now and then hopefully it can continue to blossom because you see with Ella Malloy playing, starting off her career with Thomastown, uh, it'd be nice to have a, a great Women's League here. Um, the tournament in itself, how did it originally come to be? When did it start, Sheila? Well, the, the committee at that time um, would have approached me, um, would have said that they would like to remember uh, Scone in some way and that they were thinking of running a tournament. And um, I said, look, I'd, I'd love that. And of course, the first year was very hard on everybody and that, but... Uh, we got through the first year, and from that, it went from strength to strength. And uh, I was looking at the, the boys at that time that came forward and asked me, would have been some of the young fellas that would have been watching Scun and his team back in years ago uh, playing, and now they were coming back in some way to honour him. So it was really special to me at the time. Uh, it, it's a brilliant event to, to kind of bring people of all ages. You can see that there's the men under 19s team. You have people coming back out playing. You have the men's team. You have the ladies' team. They're all competing. And it's a great event to bring people of all ages together, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely great. And um, we just say every year they put in the legends team. And I have to say they've been very lucky down through the years. They've won it more years than anybody. And um, it's great to see um, the older, the younger, and now the very young, and the women, and they all get involved in this tournament. It's a great way of bringing, as you say, of bringing everybody together. 
Um, th- there's also a raffle as well. We know how Pat Carroll's is always a massive proponent of New Park team, and you can see the celebrations happening back there. Any cup or even even a loss, the celebrations kind of happen. You know, you, you you win a match, you have a point to celebrate. You lose a match, you have a point to drown your sorrows. And if you draw, sure, you may as well have a point anyway, because that's the most excitement that you're going to get from a draw. But <laughs> you can see a raffle uh, is happening afterwards down there in Pat Carroll's. What can be won there? Um, at the moment, I'm not terribly sure, to be honest. I know at the minute I'm looking for a really kind of a big prize and that, that we can um, maybe raffle off one or two things rather than having lots of things. So um, I have to meet with the team that's doing that. I have Annie Dunn, Lily and Donovan, and uh, myself and one or two of my own uh, children are out at the moment trying to um, get different spot prizes and that. And of course, uh, just to say, Pat Carroll has never, ever lost sight of either the New Park team or this tournament. He has always been very good to us. So, um, and we always have our night down there. And as you said, there's a raffle. There'll be lovely prizes. There'll be a trophy for the best player. And then we'll always have a fun trophy as well for somebody. And we'll see who wins that this weekend. And speaking of winning as well, what do you reckon uh, Jimmy's chances when it comes on July 22nd, the fight into light of boxing night? Will you be going? Oh, of course. I'll have to support him also. Um, don't be too happy looking at him in the ring. <laughs> um, look. Uh, he's after being training really hard for it. And, that, and again, win or lose, it's for charity. And that's the main thing. That's what I always love about New Park as well. The Scundonley tournament is going ahead in, in aid of charity. You have people coming into the fight in the light boxing, uh, just all in the aid of charity as well. And you're well able to have a party as well after it. So, Sheila, we wish you nothing but the best. We'll be in touch, I'm sure, next week to find out all the goings on down at the bog and how everyone is getting on. And we wish you nothing but tremendous success. Thanks for taking the time to have a chat with us. Oh, thanks very much. And I really appreciate all everybody is doing. Sheila Donnelly, ladies and gentlemen, absolute diamond. Uh, the Skull Donnelly Memorial Tournament is happening next week. You can check everything out on social media there. Everything has been posted up. You have the New Park ladies, the men's, the under-19s and the legends all involved. No doubt, going to be a fantastic day. Robbie Dowling was a very busy man indeed this week. He also spoke to Porig Amund, the Carlos striker, about his hopes for the future. Now on the line is Carlo native Porig Amund, who is signed with Woken for the 2022-2023 Vamarama National League following his release from Newport County earlier this summer. Porig, how are you this evening? Not too bad, how are you? Very good, thanks. Um, l- looking at the signing park, obviously you've made the decision to go to walking. Why did you come to that conclusion in the end? I suppose I was lucky that I know a lot of team, ex-teammates and friends that have it over here, you know, at this time when they're out of contract, it's very difficult to to be able to pick and choose where you want to go. And, and I had quite a few offers on the table, so I was able to sit down with my family and see what, what was the best for me. Um, and I suppose one of the big things for this one was, no matter where I where I went to, you know, in in the the league or the football league or in the conference, whatever it was, I was always going to have to travel a little bit because because of where we're based in in Newport and Wales. 
Um, and this was just the best fit for, for myself and as a family. And it's a two-year contract, um, which probably not a lot of people of my age will get. Um, so I was lucky that I was able to command something like that. Um, and yeah, like I said, it just it just seems to be the best fit for, for my family and for me as well at this stage as well. I just want to play as much as I can and, and score as many goals as possible. And I think this is a really good uh, opportunity for me. At this stage of your career, Park, you obviously alluded to a lot of different um, elements there that came to the decision to sign for Woking. Your family, the length of contract being two years and obviously you want to play and score goals. Um, is there one big one at this stage of your career that kind of trumps the rest of them or is it just a whole host of factors that come into it when picking a new club? I think there's a whole host of factors. Like there's, there's you know, I could have very easily signed for five or six football league clubs just to stay in the football league so you know you can say I'm playing in the football league but you know like I said to you it was probably more down to the, the, the family side of it you know to make sure I wasn't away too much during the week with them um, from my wife and, and the young son as well um, you know it's really important that we be able to be together as a family for as much as possible Um so, you know, but I suppose what the, the other side of it was the manager who's at Woke and has tried to sign me three or four times already before. So I know I'm going to a manager who really wants me rather than going somewhere else on a year's contract. And then you find out pretty soon that they were taking a chance, really, that the manager wasn't, I wasn't first choice or, you know, something along those lines. Whereas I know here the manager has been desperate to try to sign me a few times now. So... It's a, it's a club who's really progressing at the minute and there's a lot of good plans. Um, and the manager wants to, to move the club on further and have not come here to to relax or do anything like that. I've come here to push the club up the league as much as possible and possibly even look towards getting promoted into the football league. When, when you are talking about signing for a new club, it obviously is a huge decision, a monumental decision, not just for yourself, but also for your family. How important is maybe the structure and the vision of a club that you, you spoke about there that they want to promote they want to stay building is that does that come into a big time maybe when in your early days in your career is as important now as it was back then or how, how important is the actual club that you're signed for and their goals and visions uh, very important I suppose even back into the early part of my career as well signing for clubs they would, they would speak to me about where they saw me going how they can help me along the way and I suppose as you get older it's more you going in as an experienced player and how you can help the club go along the way and the club can help you too um, but to a lesser extent if that makes sense because you're really yeah. I'm really going in and similar to Exeter last year I was going in there to try help them get over the line by you know having that bit of experience of being promoted before with the younger players that they had and I think it's similar enough here this year and, and you know, maybe when you're younger as well, you might move a little bit more freely because, you know, wasn't married, no kids, you know, you're not tied to an area. Whereas we're quite settled in Newport as a family. Um, and my wife is working over in Cardiff. Um, and obviously my little boy is in nursery as well and over this way. So we're all really settled and, and it would have been terrible to make a decision to go uproot for one year to move up further north and then be sitting around next summer going well what's the plan for the following year so so you sit down as a family and had a good real good conversation in the summer um, about about things and, and what was best for us and, and this seems to be the best option 
and obviously moving to Woking means your five-year spell at Newport comes to an end. You were on loan at Exeter, Exeter City rather last year. Um, how difficult a decision was it to to leave Newport? I know maybe um, your time maybe had come from both parties, but you know you, you some incredible memories there that you know Newport fans will remember forever. So was it a really difficult decision to just kind of say um, it's time to part company? Well, not not really because they decided. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the decision was made made from their side. But look, we had really good times. You know, I scored a lot of goals there, um, and we played in a lot of high-profile games. That I was, you know, very influential in those games as well, which are memories for myself that I'll always have. Um, you know, so it was it was brilliant on that side of it. But you know, once I went out on loan last year. Um, that was it. I moved on then straight away. Moved on to Exeter and had a had a really really good year there. Not maybe in terms of playing as much as I want to play, but in terms of learning for future in the future with coaching and learning off the manager down there of the way he sets teams up and 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 all that. And I was very impressed with that side. And I I'd, I'd knock on his door once or twice a week and go in and ask questions all the time about um, coaching and management. And you know I was lucky that he would let me do that and, and, and give me all the time he had um, and share his ideas with me which was probably one of the most beneficial years I've probably I've ever had and, and it was just a really good group as well um, so going in and out to train every day was never never a chore like even though the distance was was an hour and a half in and an hour and a half out every day um, you know but I loved doing it I loved being around the lads and, and, and learning so it wasn't a difficult decision to move on or anything like that. It's just about moving to the next place and what's the right place for me. And like I said at the beginning, I was lucky that I had options that I could nearly pick and choose where I wanted to be. Um, you know, and didn't have to go somewhere because it was the only offer that I had. Um, which, unfortunately, like so, like I said, some of my team ex-teammates or some of my some of my ex-colleagues would would have as well. Um, you know, so that's, the, that's just the nature of football, I suppose. And not to kind of harp on about Newport too much, but I suppose there were such fun memories for, for us here in Carlo and Kilkenny. It was incredible to see what you were doing in the FA Cup and in, in the Football League also with Newport. I don't want to kind of concentrate on it too much, but, you know, you were not a star player. You were probably the star player for Newport County for quite some years there. As a professional footballer, is it strange when you see that maybe change? When was the moment when you thought they don't think of me as highly as they used to? And, um, you know, how tough is that to take, I suppose? Um, I suppose the moment was when last year, the week before pre-season finished, the manager said to me um, I was being made available for loan that the... The chairman said I won't get a contract the following year. Um, you know, so it was just there was a there was a little bit of a, a bit of taste in my mouth there for that bit. But look, there's been no problems or anything like that. It is what it is. I, I understand football; it changes all the time and it changes very very quickly. Um, you know, it's not like any other industry where you know you can be very very successful in your job and you keep keep moving up and moving up it's almost like the more successful you get sometimes here um, and you know for instance the probably lads who were at Exeter last year got the club promoters I'm not including myself in this by the way but lads who got the club promoters and all of a sudden now they might be pushed towards the, the wayside because they've gone up a league and it's it's um, 
it's a different caliber of player they're looking at for for next season or, or in, going forward. You know, and um, so football is like that all the time. But then at the same time, you know, I'm not giving up about it because that's exactly what we we understand when we get into the game. We know what it's like. You know, it's not something that's just sprung upon us. That decisions like that are made. Anything can change at any time. Um, the same way, look, I've signed a two-year contract of walking, and anything can sign, anything can change at any time here. Um, but I'm hoping it's not going to. I'm hoping it's going to be a successful couple of years, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and we're excited to see how you do, and I'm sure it will be a successful couple of years. Going beyond maybe those two years, Park, if if it was to be that maybe your playing career led you elsewhere, or as you mentioned earlier, that you were to move into coaching, um, is there a preference that you have there, or, or do you kind of know where you're heading after Woken, or is it just about kind of concentrating on them for the next two years, seeing how far you can go individually and collectively, and then assessing things again, kind of like what you did this summer? I have a plan in my head that me and my wife and uh, I've sat down and we've had a conversation about things but there's one that I'm going to keep kind of close to my chest at the minute um, of where I see myself going in the next few years or in the next three or four years and what might happen but the, the, the worst thing about making plans are everything can change in the morning um, and I've seen this too many times in, in football where lads will have the greatest great uh, greatest plans in the world and all of a sudden someone comes in makes a decision and changes and changes the whole dynamic of, of, of everything um, so I'm not stuck to that plan I, I said it's, it's, a, it's a loose loose enough plan that I have um, in my head but I do know that there are lots of options um, for myself going forward in a couple of years time um, and you know it is about putting stuff in place at the minute that gives me the opportunity to to be in the best position to execute those plans. But like I said to you, things can change very, very quickly in football. So I'm not stuck to that plan, thankfully. And I know you don't want to kind of go into too much detail on what that plan is, but does that involve football in a post-playing career, Park, or is there maybe other industries that you want to get into? No, like it involves it involves coaching, it involves management, possibly stuff like that. But again, like I said to you. You can have the greatest plans ever and the changes, and, and the best example of that would probably be my old manager, Michael Flynn, at Newport. He was thrust into a job when they were 12 points away from safety, um, or seven points off safety with 12 games left, that they were going to be relegated from the Football League, and all of a sudden um, he kept them up. I think he got the job because he was the cheapest option, number one, because he was already part of the club. And they just thought they were going to get relegated and he'd done an unbelievable job to keep the club up and then the club went from strength to strength and obviously in the, the five years he was there, they were they were very, very successful and with, with obviously the two unfortunately we got beaten two playoff finals. But like I said, you there's something that you know, you might be something might be trust upon you very, very quickly that you might not be expecting, so you just have to be ready for anything that does come. So, coaching and, and, and management, yeah, is something that I am interested in. But again, you need those opportunities too. And at the minute, like I said, I, I'm fully concentrating on playing. Um, and I've, like I said, I've signed a two-year contract. So when next year comes, I don't have to worry about being out of contract uh, or anything like that. So. I'm in a good position that I can really keep my head down this season, do as well as I can and see what happens then. Well, Park, we wish you nothing but the best of luck for the next two years with walking and whatever has to come after that. And thanks very much for talking to us today on Scoreline.
Thanks very much for having me. That was Park Ammon, the Carlo striker who has just signed a two-year deal with walking in the Vanarama National League. Lots more still to come on Scoreline. And finally, in the build-up to the Irish Open at Mount Juliet, Shane spoke to the director of golf at Mount Juliet, Mac Sondercook, and here's what he had to say. here on site at the minute. Uh, how have preparations been going to get everything in place for the event? Uh, we were out there last year and we did, b- before it even started just seeing everything kind of get all the ducks in the row. How have preparations been going? It's good. You know, this year's a little bit easier than most, uh, particularly last year on the basis of so much hindrance. So now we have a lot of things in place. Plans have been able to be executed on time and, and as you look across the site now, there's still a lot going on. You know, I'm looking at a couple of forklifts moving some fencing around and there's a good crew building towards the caddies lounge and my team here looking after the range now as we speak so it's right to the last minute as it always would be but everyone's in the right place and uh, it's just going to be so good for everyone to see and the spectators to see what the differences are it's, it's the same venue but it's, it's definitely very much a different visual for everyone and how special is it then it is the same venue it is the second year in a row but to have the chance to host the first second year in a row coming out of COVID restrictions are gone how special is that for the course Oh, it's great. You know, it's kind of stage three for us. We, we were nearly there and then COVID hit us and then we had another go and kind of got half a field. Uh, and then here we are with 15,000 this week. And the buzz around it is, is amazing. You know, to think of all the people that are going to view us and see us and, and play the golf course and the feedback this year has been fantastic from those that have been out here. And, and no doubt those that may join us after the tournament are going to have such a great experience because, yeah, we are. We're, we're back-to-back hosts of this wonderful event and Horizon Irish Open definitely back on the map with the likes of Larry and Power back on side and Mark Power from Kilkenny doing his piece so yeah it's going to be a huge event and fantastic for the ancient east again as well as Kilkenny and, and Waterford areas At Mount Julia itself it's renowned worldwide how important are events like this just to showcase it on the biggest stage of them all on a tour event It's huge you know everyone needs to see what we are and, and be remembered of, of what we have here we have such great facilities from the hotel the Michelin star restaurant the equestrian the fishing you know, it's, it's fantastic and have that limelight on us and, and have it on the region and showcase what Kilkenny has to offer. I mean, they're all great. You can't get this exposure elsewhere. So you put Sky onto us and an NBC and your RTEs. Yeah, what, what more can you ask for? You know, there's, uh, there's only so much we can do and, and this seems to top it all off and, and give the exposure we all want. And knowing the Irish weather, it can be very, very temperamental to say the least. Can How much preparation goes into looking at getting the course itself in the right condition, considering that you're going to have weather implications and so forth? Yeah, I mean, the guys have worked hard. Martin Lahan and his team, of course, superintendent, a phenomenal job. The course is where it is. We are, we are ready for firm and fast greens. Now, the showers we've had today, as we all know, have been there. A little heavy so the guys are doing well but the rough is growing like mad so it's going to be a tough event this year for the players much harder than previous which is what we want to see the rough's pretty juicy so the guy who hits the fairway is going to be the guy that wins and and the golf course will hold up to it it's stood the test of time now since 1991 so we don't need to change anything when the likes of jack nicholas designs it you don't need to do too much more uh, who do you think can make that charge and then win the event considering when you're talking about winning who do you think is going to be the real standout uh, well, internally, we've picked a few people ourselves. Uh, Thomas Peters is my pick for this for, for our tournament here, which I think will be a brilliant feat if he can come off with it. You know, past Ryder Cup, 
I know Sean Carter, the professional, you know, he's picked Ryan Fox and Chris Blackmore, the other professional. He's looking more towards Seamus Power. And it's going to be a fantastic event, you know, having these winners, having these guys just back on our course, you know, having that feeling of they won here and they played here. And you never know, can we produce the amateur story of Shane Lowry and perhaps Mark Power picks up the title come Sunday. It's uh, Some dreams can be made at events like this. So let's see if we can maybe get something like that over the line. Yeah, it'll be it'll be huge. And what I find really kind of heartening is seeing the likes of say Shane Lowry coming out saying just is shaping up to be an incredible week at a superb venue. You have Harrington that are, it just seems absolutely rare to go looking to win his second Horizon Irish Open. It's really important to have these people kind of be really complimentary ahead of it because it really helps create an atmosphere. Yeah, I mean the past speaks for itself. Here, we've had such good feedback from the tours players previously and. And Woods' comments and Harrington enjoyed it here last year. And obviously Lucas Herbert, defending champion, had, had obviously great great words, as you can expect. The course has always stood up to the test of time. And that's testament to Martin and his team and, and how the investment from Tetrarch have gone over the past number of years that are able to deliver the conditions that we can and the, the surfaces on the greens that the players just, just love to play on. And and yourself then, as a director of golf out of Mount Julia, what exactly does that role entail maybe throughout the year on an annual basis we know that you're going to be incredibly busy when it comes up to the Horizon Irish Open as one would assume but no doubt you're incredibly busy uh, throughout the year as well yeah we are you know it's so busy here for me uh, we're looking after our members we're looking after our homeowners and residents on site we also look after our green fees and hotel guests we'll be back busy teaching after this and, and lessons will be back on and our fittings so yeah, for me, it, is, it never really stops. There's a new season and a, a new town everywhere we go. So perhaps we look on to the next big adventure for us here and who knows what that may be in the future. But we'll keep ourselves busy, that's for sure, as the golf pros always do. And it's a very busy kind of year it has been in golf. Of, of course, you, you have the lived golf tour that is probably engrossing golf fans at the moment. Uh, we've talked to various people uh, about that. What What is your thoughts on it? Some people say it's very damaging to the sport. We know Rory McIlroy has almost become like the ethical guide for the PGA Tour on things. What's your thoughts on the matter? And have you caught up or got to watch much of it? It's each to their own with that. You know, for me, we're here for a DP World Tour this weekend. And we're great to be working alongside them and supporting them. And, and, and that's where our focus is. These great players that are playing here with us this week is our focus. And, and I think Shane Lowry and Tyrrell Hatton and Thomas Peters are a testament to what the DP World Tour has to offer in the, in the wider stage of world golf. And, and finally, Matt, just uh, what does a successful Irish Open look like for you and Mount Juliet? A nice winner, a good bit of sunshine. Everyone enjoys themselves and the festivities come back and people remember how good these live sporting events can be. We, we suffered long enough, so to have this on the charts for me this year is, is huge. So if everyone can have some fun, we get a nice winner, and we will have a great week. And I think everyone's happy, and, and the region's happy, and we're happy here as a venue. Matt, we're looking forward to so We'll be out there from Wednesday for the Pro-Am as well. We no doubt ticket sales are probably all gone at the moment. But Matt, thanks very much for taking the time. We'll see you out there as of Wednesday all throughout the week. Yeah, no problems. We look forward to them. We look forward to welcoming you all then. Thank you very much. Matt Sandercock, the Director of Golf out in Mount Juliet. Obviously, the Horizon Irish Open is going to be the talk of the town. We have Sir Nick Faldo talking about it, and there's a lovely photo that he put up on Twitter there after winning the Irish Open trophy at Mount Juliet, saying Kilkenny is always a beautiful spot to play golf. Always great atmosphere at the Irish Open. Brilliant. We're going to take a quick ad break there. Stick around. Lots more still to come here on Scoreline. 
Now I'm joined by Games Promotion Officer with Kilkenny GAA, Cora Delaney, to chat about all things development GAA in the county. Cora, thanks very much for talking to me today. No problem, no problem Robert. Um, Cora, for people that maybe wouldn't know what a promotion officer is, um, could you explain what the role entails? Um, so basically we've been employed by Leinster GAA, so then we're kind of um, provided out then to whatever counties kind of wanted. So luckily enough, I'm from Chicane and I got to work with Breen, Sean Kelly and BJ Ryan there for the last few years with um, Cool Tab. So got in with, touch with the boys and they got me in there. Um, so basically our role, basically three of us have got it. So there's myself, um, Philly Campion and Nathan Cullison and basically we're employed to go into clubs just help them on the ground if they need anything club support kind of do school links so basically for the last eight weeks we've been going into schools and just promoting GA trying to get children out of the schools into the club and try to improve GA from kind of the grassroots or club roots kind of um, and just make a better impact from that kind of point of view. And I know that you've done a degree in sports management and coaching in relating to the GA was this a kind of job that you always had planned after your degree, or was it something that just kind of fell your way? Um, kind of, it fell my way, kind of, there. Like, I was working to pass my time um, while I was in college, so I was just working in the shop in Carlo and just working with um, Breen and Sean and CJ, um, and then after qualifying with the degree I got, um, this was, like, the main area you would focus in. Um, I kind of fell into my lap then. I was talking to Sean Kelly one evening and I was wondering was there any jobs going and Brian and Sean actually found the job and kind of said that there was a going for it and kind of just fell into my lap. I got talking to James then from Leinster um, and that's where the job came. Um, but, you know, I'm really enjoying it. Like, it's, like, different than I actually anticipated. Um, like, I mean, with the children, actually love being in with them. Um, it's something different. Every day there's a different challenge facing me, but I kind of wouldn't change it. This is the route I kind of wasn't expecting after getting the degree, but it really, really has got there where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it. That's great to hear that you are enjoying it so much, and uh, I'm sure the kids are enjoying it too, being around you all day. <laughs> but um, the job itself, Cora, uh, what what does it kind of you know, entail, I suppose, for want of a better word. Is it about kind of harnessing the skills of, of children at national and school level and um, trying to promote GA in that sense, or is there something a bit more broader than that? Um, you kind of would say, yeah, it's getting children to learn about um, the GA skills, but say at a younger age, maybe junior and senior infants, you're kind of not looking at that. That'd be more from first class upwards, but junior and senior infants, it's kind of more can they run, can they jump, can they kick, so we'd call that like your fundamental skills. Um, this week now, I'm after being on a, a induction week with Leinster GA there and found a lot from that, like about inclusion, how to get children maybe from um, disability backgrounds or maybe with special needs and how to actually facilitate them while I'm in the school. And I was actually coming across them difficulties and I was learning myself how to do it but even just them small things this week has really helped how to actually include include them in the sessions and that's one of my things I think I'm going to go back to the clubs and actually see 
will they actually promote it in the clubs and get an inclusion maybe night maybe once a month or something like that something different to bring into Kilkenny and I think it is probably there already but not probably promoted as much as possible but that's something that I actually want to bring along um, and help them and then again just get juniors and senior infants and kind of the nursery as we would call it in the clubs get them going through their fundamental stages and then when they get up older that they'll be able to run catch the ball and all that when it does actually come to place and like you said you were at an induction week in terms of training um in port leash with the rest of the leinster officers this week how important are is kind of events like that um as a promotions officer to kind of you know get little tips here and there and to kind of fine-tune the work that you do so that you can as you said great work being done to include people with disabilities in ga at the moment how important is stuff like that just to make sure that everyone is involved and included um well like we i got to meet like people from me from Kildare, from Westmead, from Offaly this week. Um, maybe if I actually didn't go on a course, I probably wouldn't have met them. So there, when we were leaving today, we actually set up a WhatsApp group for ourselves. We're following each other on Twitter now. I have a Twitter page that I post stuff on. So say when I'm in the school, I'll post that I'm actually in the school. This is what I was developing with the school this week. Or I'm down in the club, I'll promote the club, what they're doing in the club, what we're after in achieving in the club if there's any matches or anything coming up and then anyone that I kind of would have made contact with they'll be like oh that's actually maybe a nice game she's after doing with them children or I'll find a game that maybe someone up in Mead or someone in Offaly is after doing and I'll take their game and I'll use it in Kilkenny like one of the lads said today he said I thought I was on my own my ideas were my ideas I can't share with anyone in fact it's actually different it's all about sharing, giving ideas to other people. They'll give ideas to you. Um, it's like it's not a solo job. Like you're working the whole time, like off people. Like me and Nate and there had a conversation while I was coming home from Port East today about we have to do in uh, training up for cool camps next week. Um, for Kilkenny, and we have to do a bit of warm up and fun games, and we we're just bouncing off each other. What do you think about if I do this game and? if you do this. So Nathan would know a whole lot about, say, strength and conditioning, the fundamental sides. So he said he'd take that side and he said, you're probably better at the fun game score. Why won't you take, why would you take the fun games and you deal with it that way? So that's the way the two of us are kind of flicking off each other um, and using each other as a potential. Again, using the lads down in Wexford, Al was up with us this week. Um, he has the, come on everybody, it's a great game. They are a great initiative. They came up with down there with the new wristies. I learned a lot from him this week up in Abbottstown as well. Just something different to get the little ones out holding the hurls properly, their left hand, their right hand, colouring the hurl maybe with like, say I'm with Erin's own and the emeralds. So with the emeralds, I'd have maybe one side of the hurl green and the other side white, Erin's own blue and white on the side. So say if you come out, if you're right-handed, you have to hold it on the green side or the blue side and if you're left handed you have to come out and hold it with the right or with the white side up so clearly you can identify which side the child is either they're left handed or they're right handed by just looking at the colour that they have the, the way they're holding the hurl just little things like that as after following a few of us there that he had on induction James follows us he's over us in Leinster call him clear um, there's another Alan Mul- uh, 
Alan is in with Leinster as well. Uh, Breen follows us. Sean Kelly. There's so many people follow you. You get their ideas. You can share them, use them. Just different um, things by connecting with people at these induction weeks, really. That's really interesting to hear, I must say, Cora. And uh, good to know that you're kind of bouncing off each other and constantly learning in the job. Um, just the days themselves, Cora, when you arrive at a school and you're training the kids, how are they structured out? And is that the sort of way that you've been told is the way to best get the kind of get the best out of the kids? Um, kind of, you do your own your own thing. So us in Kilkenny now, we sat down before we actually went out to the schools and the three of us sat down in Nolan Park and we all sat down and we said, right, this week we're going to do striking. So Philly said, I'll take striking. I said, I'll take hand passing. And Nathan said, I'll take, I don't know, roll lift or something. And each of us did a session planner around that. Each of us then had your own warm-up, whatever warm-up you wanted to do with them. Fun games. There's no point of going straight into 15 GA warm-up. You're only in the school. You want to have fun the whole time when you're in with them. Make sure the child is going out. They remember your name. They're going out with a smile on their face and they're saying to the teacher, can we go back and do that later on in the day or something like that? That's what I'm all about going into the school and then having a little game at the end of it. So whether that be rounders, a full GA match, um, I'm doing a zonal game with most of them at the minute, making sure that they're staying in their zone. Everyone gets to play the ball. No one's left out. Um, but it, it seems to be working for me, like even with the fun games. Most of them, first week I went in and played tag, big, big tag with them. Sure, every week, can we play that game again? Can we play that game again? And it's just really encouragement that they're actually coming out and they still want to play that game even though it's only a simple little thing, putting the baby in, in them and they're tucking out the baby. It's just so simple, but they love the games. Like Once they're smiling and they're enjoying it and they know your name, that's all about it. Like Even down at the club, like they'll come up and they'll be like, well, Cora, how are you? And it's such an enjoyment to me. I actually feel so privileged that they actually know my name. And then on the other hand, then I kind of feel bad because I'm trying to remember 500 children's names from the five different schools that I'm with. But eventually I'll get there. I'll get to learn a new name every day that I'm doing it. Like so. But I really enjoy it. So it's just all about having fun and making sure that they enjoy it and they're coming out with it smiling, basically. Is that the key for you, Cora? Obviously, you mentioned there's two other um, games promotions officers involved in Kilkenny GA alongside yourself. Is that kind of a collective thing that it's all about having fun? Because they are such young kids at the end of the day, if they don't enjoy it, they might never pick up a hurl or kick a football again. Or is it more so about kind of com- combining the fun with also, you know, learning the basic skills of both hurling and Gaelic football? Yeah, I suppose at a little or younger age, like we're all about having fun, making sure to keep coming back, keep coming back. Maybe when they get up to maybe the seven, under sevens, start bringing, introducing it slowly. No point of going out and, you know, using real technical language with them. Like, when I'm doing the roll lift or the jab lift with them, for the roll lift, I'm just telling them to roll it like a rolling toilet roll. Just, uh, jab lift, scooping like ice cream. And I actually reinforced it. Last night I was down in Erin's zone and they were doing the hooking and the blocking. And for the hook, I just said, put it in like you're putting a pizza in. They're all going around like they were putting pizzas into the oven. But <laughs> just something different that make it connect with them, like hopping like bunnies, say, to jump up and catch a ball. That's something different. They're like, oh, I have to hop like a bunny. 
it's just using their language and getting down to their level and getting it. But yeah, I think maybe the first few years, maybe nursery, maybe when they're getting into the seven, going into the goal games, maybe seven, um, eight, then start introducing the game or the skills more slowly, like how to strike and making that letter C with the hurl and stuff like that. But that's why the Aristides are being introduced. So I'm trying to introduce them more into Kilkenny now, but probably is clubs out there that I just haven't seen them social media in Kilkenny doing it. But I'm going to try bringing in more in Kilkenny, getting the Aristides going and using them actually at the nursery level. Such much, or it's good help, like for the coaches as they get up into under seven to have the correct hurl, correct way of striking the ball, rising it and just getting them at an earlier age doing it maybe than actually starting really at seven but seven kind of would be the age that you're kind of trying to really instill the skills but under that I, it's all about having fun and enjoying and make sure they actually come back to the club and the school and they're not crying every time they go home like well, of course, great to hear that you're doing so well and that the kids are enjoying it too. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck in your role in the years to come. Perfect. Thanks, Robert. That was Cor Delaney, Games Promotion Officer with Kilkenny GA, speaking to me here today on Scoreline about all things promoting GA in Kilkenny. Lots more still to come on Scoreline. That's all for another edition of Scoreline Extra. Don't forget you can catch the live show every Saturday and Sunday from 2pm. I've been Sinead Kyo, this has been Scoreline Extra and I'll chat to you again soon. Mm-hmm.